Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about Beltane, fairies, and violets. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Beltane is a Gaelic festival. It's a cross-quarter celebration in the wheel of the year. So it celebrates the time in between, that's halfway between spring equinox and summer solstice. This is typically celebrated on May 1st, also called May Day. Truly, it's the first day of summer. It's the start of the growing season and the time of fertility, both in animals and plants and the soil and the natural world all around us. A lot of people today, you know, think of summer as beginning on summer solstice, which is when the sun is kind of is like at its apex and the longest day of the year. And then after summer solstice, we get shorter and shorter days. So really, if we think about it, summer solstice is actually midsummer because it's the center of summer and then the days start to get shorter from there. So at Beltane, um, it's, it's the beginning of the summer and the end of spring. It's a transition time. And it was traditionally a time that celebrated fertility. There were many fertility rituals that were traditionally done and even uh, rituals for the improving fertility of cows and uh, animals, as well as improving the fertility of the soil, preparing for the growing season. And it's a time where flowers are celebrated, which are, of course, the reproductive organs of plants. And so a symbol of fertility as well, and an actual fertility part of the plants themselves. Uh, Maypole is a traditional 
celebratory ritual, dancing around the maypole, which celebrates fertility, the pole, celebrating the potent male fertility force that is driven into the earth soil. And then oftentimes women and girls, although anyone these days dances around it, but my understanding is traditionally mostly women and girls would dance around the maypole in certain dances that would weave patterns of ribbons around the pole as a representation of the female fertility aspect joining with the male fertility aspect for reproduction. It's a beautiful ritual to witness and to be a part of. Also, it during May Day or Beltane, the festivals would also focus on appreciating the sun and the sun gods, and there would be bonfires and fire rituals. Hawthorne is a plant that in places other than down east Maine, uh, bloom on May Day. And from my understanding, sometimes when the hawthorn was blooming, you know, in Ireland or Scotland or where Beltane was originally celebrated, the, the May Day festival began on the day that the hawthorn bloomed. There are lots of ways that hawthorn flowers are incorporated into the Beltane rituals. There was also a Maybush as one of the celebra- celebrations of May Day that would be put in a village center and be decorated and danced around and then burned in the bonfire at the end of the celebration. And Hawthorne's cool because another folklore behind it is when the Hawthorne is blooming. If you were to fall asleep under the hawthorn tree or the hawthorn bush, that you would be transported to fairyland and connect with the fairy folk. And if you smell the hawthorn flowers, they they are very pungent and they have a very odorific and sudorific smell to them where you could almost imagine being lulled to sleep and brought to this really intense dream state that would connect you with the nature spirits. If you want to learn more about Hawthorne, I did talk about it in episode five of this podcast, but today I want to talk about violets and how I connect them in my mind with May Day and Beltane. But first, I want to talk a little bit about fairies. And I am not necessarily a fairy aficionado, that's for sure. I mean, it could be quite the body of study and research if you really wanted to delve deep into all of the fairy folklore and understandings and even fairy or fairy type of entities from around the world. But for me, for what I most understand the fairies to be, is right around Beltane or May Day or the beginning of summer is when the fairy folk awaken. And to me, the fairies, what they represent is the the life force in nature and the elements and an embodied 
version of the plant spirits. But more than that, more than just the plant spirits, but I guess to some degree it's unspeakable. And that's why we have all of these metaphors and symbols of things so that we can get a, a, a further understanding of things that are really hard to put into words. And, but also fairies are really known as being tricksters originally. You know, today I think we think of a very dumbed down and softened version of fairies. And I mean, I have a six-year-old daughter. I love bringing fairies and fairy lore into her world and, you know, making fairy houses in the garden and, and imagining fairies and stories about fairies and all this. But it's very mild, I would say. And I think that the original aspect of fairies is that they are, you know, nature embodied. They are folk that revel in the chaotic nature of the wild world and that they can also create chaos, that they need it, and that they are an expression of it. And in historically, they could be blamed for a lot of mishaps or unluck or illnesses that were unexplained. I think that ultimately, it's an understanding that we don't have control over the natural world. And that we also don't have control of the fairies and that we need to be aware of that and stay on our guard a little bit about that. So if you want to invite the fairies into your backyard, the best thing to do is to leave an untamed spot in your yard, a place where you never go, that's cordoned off to su- in some way. You don't have to tie it off with rope or anything, but it is a designated area that no human touches or walks through, uh, that it is there for the fairies alone, and it is allowed to be wild and chaotic. And let's face it, humans, we tend to not like wild and chaotic. We tend to like to control our environment around us and Um, hence lawns and gardens and orchards and all these things. And so it's okay. You know, if you have gardens that get away from you or out of control, which I have have plenty of and currently have plenty of, in the back of my mind, I just say, it's okay, Bridget. It's for the fairies. You know, they've taken it over and you can have your garden maybe smaller somewhere else. Or if I just don't get to a garden by the end of the year, I'm like, well, you know, the fairies have had their way with it. (laughs) But I do, like I said, with my daughter, enjoy making fairy houses. It's a fun craft. It's a fun, creative craft that you can do outside and with kids love it. And then it's an interesting way to watch the chaos of nature come back in. So, you know, you find different artifacts in your yard, leaves and flowers and stones and shells or whatever. And you can design little forts or fairy houses small in little tucked in areas, make offerings of berries and seeds for the fairies and then leave and then come back a few days, a few weeks, a month later 
and you will see how nature changes things, how things undo almost. And, you know, maybe animals have come by and changed it or the offerings have been eaten by your local squirrel or maybe a fairy. So it's just a, it's an interesting study in the unraveling, the natural unraveling of nature. But what I really want to talk about today is the plant violet, which is blooming gloriously these days. And so I want to talk about uh, some folklore around the violets, how we can identify them, how we can work with them medicinally and remedies that we can make with them. So stick with me and we will visit the violet. yard now is a nice in parts uh, purple patches everywhere of the purple violets and every once in a while also patches of white violets I also like to incorporate them into my gardens I consider it a plant that starts summer it's just a beautiful bloom and I could see how it could relate to Beltane in that it has um, a lot of folklore around love and humility and heartache and it's um, a nice spring food you can eat the flowers you can eat the leaves so if you don't know what violets are you don't know how to identify them I highly recommend getting a plant ID book and going out and finding violets in your own backyard they have these beautiful small heart-shaped leaves that grow bigger after they're done flowering and the flowers range uh, from purple to pink to white to yellow and they have rhizomes that they grow on under that are kind of just at the surface of the ground um, that you can often see partly sticking out of the soil the yellow flowers are often found in the woodlands and are very not necessarily abundant so I tend to leave those alone and the violets that I like to work with are the ones that grow abundantly in lawns and fields and open areas and this time of year I just like to work with the flowers and then as the flowers die back and the leaves get bigger that's when I start working with the leaves of the violets and the flowers are really interesting of the violets because they have actually two different types of flowers and in the springtime the, the flowers that we see are meant to be pollinated by bees or other flying insects and so they are open pollinated flowers um, but this time of year there really aren't that many pollinators around and for some reason maybe the flowers are hard to pollinate because they rarely produce seeds and then 
later on in the summer, the violets produce a second flower. And this flower is a closed flower, which the plant totally reproduces on its own seeds. And you barely, you don't even see the flower. It's green, it's under the leaves. Um, you kind of have to like lift up the leaves and then you'll see these cool little nubbles of a flower that kind of hang down and eventually become a seed head that kind of open up and are filled with these beautiful little white um, seeds. The seeds themselves are interesting because they have a symbiotic relationship with ants and potentially slugs where the ants, the seeds have an appendage on them, a little white appendage called an ileosomes that contain a cocktail of fatty acids, amino acids, and sugars. So they're these awesome little scrumptious delights that the ants love to eat. So the ants will harvest the seeds and bring them back to their home where they will share and eat and feast on the aleosomes off of the seed and then they throw the seeds out and that's where the plant will grow. So that's uh, a really neat relationship there. And so, you know, and not only that, but violets can also reproduce with uh, spreading their rhizomes. So all of that being that these are very successful plants and the fact that they aren't dependent on the beautiful purple and white blossoms that we see this time of year means that we can um, easily harvest them without being overly concerned that we are damaging the plant's population. There's so much fun folklore around violets. If you're interested in plant folklore, I definitely invite you to check it out. But I thought I'd share a couple fun stories that I came across. So in Greek, the word for violet is something along the lines of ion. And there is a character in Greek mythology, a priestess, a human, a mortal, Io, um, that is the daughter of a king, Argus. And Zeus loved Io, one of his many mistresses, I believe. However, he was concerned that his wife, Hera, would discover their affair and be jealous of Io's beauty. And so to protect Io from Hera, Zeus turned her into a white heifer, a cow. And she was very sad that she had to eat this like rough grass and she was crying and sad. And so Zeus magically made her tears turn into violets that spread across the fields that only she was allowed to eat. Beautiful, sweet violets. So as a gift to her and in trade for turning her into a cow, <laughs> uh, she gets these beautiful violets. Although Hera did apparently know about this relationship that they had. And so she created a fly that would constantly bite at the cow so that she would never rest. And she would travel the world running from this biting fly and crying tears of violets all along the way. And apparently it's possible that Zeus, in, in one story, 
gave Hera a bouquet of violets to ease her anger and to ease her heart. Another story is about a nymph named Ianeth, Ianthus, and she was being chased by pa- Apollo, who desperately needed her in a love sort of obsessed way. And this poor, frightened virgin nymph fled to the woods to seek protection from Diana, who advised her to hide where Apollo could never find her. And so Diana changed the nymph into a violet so that she could escape Apollo's advances. And in a third folkloric story, uh, it involves Venus, and she actually made the violets turn the blue color that they are. And this happened because she was in a dispute with her son Cupid over who was more beautiful, herself or a group of young maidens that, that they were discussing. And Cupid favored the maidens, said, oh, mom, I don't know. I kind of am attracted to the maidens more than I'm attracted to you. Well, apparently Venus flew into a rage that she went and beat up these poor maidens until they turned blue and turned into violets. Their connection to Venus made violets a popular love potion and aphrodisiac. A common name for violets is heart's ease. There's also a heart's ease pansy, which is a small type of violet, which is the one that I mostly know is called heart's ease. But based on all of these stories, I find it a relatively ironic common name. But it also ties in with some of the health benefits that violet has to offer. So violet, again, I'm going to talk mostly about the leaf, um, which again, I harvest later in the season once it has enough energy and is larger. Right now, the leaves are very small and the most of its, I feel like its energy is going into the flowers, although the flowers do have similar properties to the leaves, but not as much and are definitely not as strong. But for me, when I think of the violet flowers, I think of mucilaginous, soothing to mucous membranes, um, beneficial for our lungs, easing dry coughs, and also a wonderful remedy for dry skin and to be used in uh, skin products. But in general, violets are very nutrient rich. The flowers um, are high in vitamin C, but the leaves are just loaded with minerals. The leaves also contain uh, mucilage, saponins, uh, salicylic acid, quercetin, and antioxidants. Lots of lots of wonderful chemistry for our bodies. The mucilaginous aspects of this leaf are very obvious. As soon as you take a bite of the leaf and kind of chew it up in your mouth, you'll get that mucilage, that kind of slimy feel on your tongue. And that's a sure sign that this plant is nicely anti-inflammatory, especially to mucous membranes, and also soothes and repairs mucous membranes. So we have mucous membranes on all of our tissues that come in contact in some way with the outside world, whether it's our skin, our lungs, our throat, our entire digestive tract, um, our urinary system, and our reproductive system. So all of these kind of have 
uh, holes that attach to the outside world. And so they either come in contact with food or air or things that are from the outside world. Therefore, the mucous membranes are there to protect these tissues. And so plants that are rich in mucilage, including violet, can really help with any sort of dry irritation, inflammation in any of these tissues. Violet tends to have a great affinity for the lungs. Um, it's really helpful in relieving coughs, especially dry and inflamed coughs. Some people will make a syrup out of the violet flowers, and this is also very beneficial for children uh, who have dry coughs, but um, also adults, but then also a nice infusion of the leaves, both a warm but also a cold infusion, can really help to extract those mucilaginous constituents and soothe mucous membranes that it comes in contact with. So beneficial for the intestines, it can relieve constipation. I wouldn't say it's a very strong laxative, probably very mild in action. Very soothing to the throat, sore throat, easing tonsillitis. Again, very soothing to our skin. So any sort of red irritation of the skin, any sort of wound on the skin, it can soothe and heal. And that can be as simple as making a poultice or even a spit poultice, which is where you chew up the leaf and stick it on. So a bee sting, a bug bite, a wound, um, eczema, psoriasis, any of these things, it might have some great benefit in soothing. Violet is also a wonderful support for our immune system. It is known to help support the movement of our lymph and able to help reduce swollen lymph nodes. It's uh, antioxidant and is really well known as a cancer remedy. In particular, specifically tumors in the breast, it is known has a chemical component that has been shown to specifically destroy breast tumor cells, but also has been shown promise in um, breaking up tumors in the lungs, the throat, and the intestines. Again, all of these mucous membranes. But because it has this affinity for the breast, it also can improve overall breast health, um, fibrocystic breasts, um, any kind of other you know cysts or lumps, whether they're cancerous or not, it can really help to break those up. And I think that is in part of the saponin's ability to help break up um, fats and fatty tissues. So that can be helpful both internal, infu you know, infu nourishing infusions of the leaf, eating the fresh leaf in salads has been shown to be very helpful, and then also applying uh, compresses on the breasts externally. Another uh, organ and part of the body that violet is really beneficial for is our heart. And again, both our emotional and our physical heart, just the name heart's ease, tells us a lot and all of these interesting folkloric stories about love and heartache and easing the pain of heartache. The heart, it's known to help maintain a healthy blood pressure, uh, healthy cholesterol levels, triglyceride levels, supporting the integrity of the veins, and in, in reducing the heart rate if you have like a a racing heart feeling. 
also very beneficial for our liver. It's known as an alterative, which I have talked about in uh, a couple previous episodes as well. So maybe if you've been following along, you've heard me talk about alteratives, which are generally herbs that support our liver, our digestion, and our lymph. And um, Violet does all of these things. A lot of interesting historical information about Violet being useful for preventing hangovers and also useful for um, preventing intoxication from drinking alcohol. So even uh, I read something, it might have been Greek or Roman, but, you know, men would wear it around, wear the flowers almost as lays, like around their necks to help prevent them from getting too drunk. I don't know, but it is interesting that it does help support liver and is liver protective. So I can't imagine that if you wake up and you have a hangover that having violet tea is going to do much for you. I mean, it will give you minerals and probably be soothing and anti-inflammatory, but maybe more so um, prior to going out drinking. It might be more beneficial on that end of things. It's also known to help our nervous system, to soothe and calm the nervous system, to help calm anger, which is maybe why Zeus gave Hera (laughs) a bouquet of violets. Um, Also helping to ease insomnia. I wouldn't say it's like a full-on sedative, but just something over time that can soothe the nervous system. And same with tension headaches, um, headaches that are triggered by stress that can help to ease those as well. So lots of beneficial properties throughout the body. Again, it's a pretty mild herb. So it's not, it's something that you might need to ingest in relatively large and frequent amounts if you're really going for a medicinal action or, you know, if you're looking for heart support, something that you would consume over a long period of time. And so again, you know, you can harvest the flowers now when they're in bloom and you could make a violet flower syrup. There's tons of recipes online and YouTube videos, however, It's basically making a simple syrup out of a strong violet infusion. And you can do that with uh, sugar or honey. You could make a vinegar, infused vinegar. If you use a white wine vinegar or a champagne vinegar and infuse those purple flowers in it, it will turn this beautiful purple color, which will deteriorate over time, especially if it's exposed to sunlight. But at first, you're going to have a beautiful really purple vinegar. Um, People candy the flowers, put them in baked goods, beautiful condiment on the side or of a plate, beautiful in salads. Again, a fun little shot of vitamin C if you're just out grazing in your yard. Um, I really like using the flowers in facials. So if if I harvest a lot of flowers and I dry them, And then when I'm ready to do a facial, I will powder the violet flowers and add a little bit of water and a touch of honey and make a beautiful violet flower face mask. 
very moisturizing, very soothing, and anti-inflammatory to the skin. You can also just make a violet-infused honey, so fill a jar with violet and cover it with honey, and you'll find that eventually, in a few days, that honey will have absorbed all of the moisture out of the flowers, and you'll have this, when you thought you had totally filled the jar with flowers, now you'll just have a, a very thin uh, bit of flowers in your jar, and mostly like a watered-down honey, but that can be you could spread that with the flowers on toast if you wanted a fancy little sweet toast to eat. Um, or you can actually use that honey directly on your skin, on your face as a facial moisturizer or a honey mask. And then the, the leaves I harvest later in the season and the violets that I have, I actually don't know what species they are, but the violets that I have growing in my garden um, get huge leaves and I can do, I can come and cut uh, two harvests of those leaves in one season. So I'll cut them, uh, most of them, and, you know, leaving some leaves on each plant and dry them on screens. And then I can go back later on and get a second harvest because they regrow pretty readily, the leaves. So I just like lay the leaves out either in baskets or on screens to dry. And then I make nourishing herbal infusions with the violet leaves. So I weigh out one ounce of the dried violet leaves, which is actually a lot of violet leaves. It takes a lot. Um, and put it in a quart jar, fill it with boiling water, cover it, let it sit overnight, four to eight hours, and then strain it out and drink it maybe a quart a week or something like that. And the rhizomes, the roots, you generally don't want to use medicinally. They have an emetic property, which means they uh, can make you throw up. So we'll leave those alone. The violets, again, there are so many different species. Even pansies are in the violet family. And there are over, let's see, 22 genre of violets in the Violaceae family and 900 species of violets, 80 species in North America alone. Although I mostly hear people speak of the odorata species, which is a violet that has a really strong and beautiful scent which is not what I have because my violets don't have any scent to the flower at all. Um, and so the other species that a lot of people speak of is the Sororia species, which I'm guessing maybe that's the species that I have growing in my garden and in my yard. But whatever species it is, stay away from the woodland, the yellow, beautiful, delicate, small violets. But if they're growing in your yard and garden, feel free to ally yourself with them, get to know them, nibble, munch, make some fun remedies, and just have fun with them. If you are interested in learning more about foraging backyard medicinal plants, making herbal remedies, growing herbs in your garden, and general seasonal backyard and kitchen herbalism, check out the Solidago Herb School membership classroom on the Patreon website. You can find it, you know, www.patreon.com 
backslash Solidago Herb School. And there, there is a lot of free information. I have all of my podcast notes and links to the podcasts, as well as uh, membership levels that start as low as $5 a month, which have monthly classes. And there are um, also levels where you get video classes and demonstrations. And then you can also have one-on-one talk time with me, which I would love to get to know you and help you learn whatever you're interested in learning about as far as herbalism and health. So check it out. Um, You can also find me on Instagram, either as Solidago Herb School or the Healthy Herb Podcast. Uh, Facebook, my website, I'm there. Check me out. And if you'd be so kind, if you enjoyed this podcast, to leave a review or a rating, I would really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube